Ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing, rags-to-riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires, many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school, and with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over 1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this, if you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. Welcome to Ditch Digger CEO, brother. Really appreciate you being here. You know, our goal is to interview leaders uh, that, that uh, have, have gotten to a point in their life to lead at a, at a level most people don't. Um, we're, we're, we've, we've, we search for people that are top, we, we believe top 1% in their industry, whether it's you know, expertise and, and, and excellence in their industry, or it's like top 1% uh, volume and, and uh, revenues or whatever, right? Because to get there, it takes a lot of a lot of differentiation. It takes a lot of uh, um, a lot of great vision, um, a lot of great strategy to get to be best in your class in, in anything you do. So, so that's our goal. And Ditch Digger CEO, we know you're one of those people, Philip. And uh, we we're 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 really blessed to have you here today. Appreciate you being here. Um, you know, we we like to start from the start, start from the start, Philip. You know what kind of. Where are you from originally? What did your family family uh, look like as a kid? Um, you know, f- family members, parents, uh, uh, people in your life inspired you, that kind of stuff. So, um, are you ready to go? Can you start from the from uh, from uh, from your uh, uh, beginnings as a kid? Yeah, I can do anything. Let me just say this right off the bat, though. Uh, love your story. Um, love the fact that when people doubted you, you dug in literally, or and you you built something uh, from scratch, and you've built it to where you are. And obviously, you have a, a service heart. Uh, it's this is why I'm I'm really honored to be on with you, uh, Gary. So thank you. I mean that. And so um, my story. Well, I grew up. Um, I'm a redneck from Alabama, and um, I you know don't have a, a a postgraduate degree, and I didn't go to some Ivy League school. I went to the University of Alabama. And I was really, here it is. I, I was the first generation of uh, attention deficit disorder kids. There, there wasn't ADHD, there was just ADD. And it was in the 80s. And I had a psychologist um, diagnose me and put me on Ritalin. Um, and but I was told as a kid that I was uh, not smart. I was told as a kid that I um, should be in you know, the, the special needs uh, classes at school, I was made fun of in that regard. Um, this was a big struggle for me in my life. But what I really ultimately realized was they never told you that 
having attention deficit disorder, which almost all entrepreneurs do, uh, is is a superpower. And it's it doesn't have to be a negative. Um, it, it's just how you look at it. But it was all negative back in the day. It was only you know you're going to fail. You're going to be hard. You're you're not really good at class. You're not good at school. You can't pay attention. Everything was associated was negative around it. Ultimately, I knew Gary that for my life, I needed to do something I was I had to be passionate about, or I couldn't even concentrate to do it. Right, <clears throat> and that's where I found out I wasn't so dumb after all. Because if I was really passionate about it, I was probably pretty smart. And I only cared about two things growing up, uh, politics and college football. And um, I'm 5'10", 155 pounds. College football wasn't going to be a, uh, really a choice for me. And I wasn't interested. I wasn't in some young Republicans club or anything like that. But I just studied and read. And I really became obsessed with how political campaigns were run and what those were about. I you know, watched, you know, when I was 18 years old, the... Bill Clinton coming out of nowhere on the on death's doorstep of his primary campaign to win the primary and then beat an incumbent president. And I was fascinated by that. The first election I ever paid attention to really was 1988 um, with Lee Atwater's guidance um, with George H.W. Uh, Bush beating uh, uh, Dukakis. And I just became obsessed with that. And so I never wanted to run for office. I don't know how anybody would ever want to do that. Uh, but I became obsessed with the fact that how does it work behind the scenes to help people get elected? And I just became fascinated by it. 1996, that was my first campaign, political campaign. And, uh, you know, I got, I got the bug. I got hooked. I didn't, it didn't matter that I worked 24-7. It didn't matter that I worked on a three-year period um, in the late 90s and early 2000s. There was a three-year period where I had 21 days off total. You never have a day off when you work in politics. And I just became obsessed with it. Um, in, in running campaigns and working on presidential campaigns and uh, Senate races, governor's races all over the country. Sure. And uh, ultimately, I found a pattern. And this is maybe something I'm really good at and something that I'm, uh, uh, I have the ability to do. But I notice anomalies. And I notice that in politics, we have a certain formula that we, for we, we utilize in marketing to win elections. And the funny thing is, is that the candidates we work with they run this formula, our opponents run this formula. It's a mono a mono, very competitive marketplace. By the way, you're wearing a Chicago White Sox uh, jersey on right now as we were doing this interview and sports teams utilize this exact same formula to win championships. But what I realized was that there was nobody out there in the corporate world that was utilizing this exact formula in their marketing of their business. And I became obsessed with understanding that. And so I spent a decade studying that, uh, applying those principles into businesses, and then having explosive results, which ultimately led to uh, to me writing the book, um, <clears throat> and um, and that's kind of where I am right now. What's the, what's your, what's the name of your book? Yeah, it's called the Undefeated Marketing System: How to Grow Your Business and Build Your Audience Using the Secret Formula that Elects Presidents. Nice. Okay. <clears throat> And uh, so tell us about that, that uh, what, what type of campaign was that first one? And, uh, you know, what, what, what was it a local race, county board member? Bob Dole it? for president. Why, what? Bob oh. Dole for president. It was, um, I worked out in San Diego at the Republican convention and then came back and volunteered on his campaign. I was 22 at the time and um, got to meet um, 
you know, the new Gingrich's, this is back in the day, right? New Gingrich's of the world, the John Boehner's of the world. I, I got to meet all of these politicians and just said, man, th this is the world I want to be in. And eventually moved to Washington, D.C. Uh, was there basically around 17 years, but off and on. I would always go back out in the field and run campaigns. Ran a U.S. Senate race out of South Dakota for John Thune. Uh, helped run that. Um, ran a governor's race for Bobby Jindal's governor's race in Louisiana. Um, and then ended up being the national get out the vote director for the Bush reelect in 2004. And that was where, <clears throat> for the first time ever, we in, uh, brought in consumer data and real um, data and analytics into a, into a political campaign. Democrats had never done it. Republicans had never done it. That particular campaign, Karl Rove, Ken Melman, brought in uh, data and analytics into the campaign. And that helped us win that election. And then from that point forward, every campaign since then has utilized that formula. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's awesome. And you know, we've, we use data in our businesses like never before, of course. And our leaders that understand how to use data um, are extremely strong. So, I mean, you, you, know, get, you know, understanding data is one thing, understanding how to use it to uh, motivate, to um, shore up your vision. And then, and first of all, short, you know, under, to, to build the vision. And secondly, to um, to operate your business and inspire your teammates by is yeah. is best, right? If you can, if if you can use data for every teammate to understand what a good day and a bad day is, that's right. You've got it whooped because uh, <clears throat> because when you can do that, you not you know nobody. If you hire right, and I believe we do, we've got great people on our teams in business. Um, you uh, you, know, you you hire people that that want to have good days, they want to do good things for the customer and for the business, right? That, that whether they're a partner or they're an hourly employer or salary employee, nobody goes to work saying, how can I, how can I ruin this business today? Or how can I, uh, you know, uh, make get my customer, you know, uh, riled up and mad right. at us, right? So again, but if you don't give them the proper information, the proper data, the, the proper understanding what a good day and a bad day is, how do you expect it, right? How do you expect them to succeed and do, do great things? Um, so not I, only, it's, it's, you nailed that on the internal side. What, what I'm focused on with, mark, with a marketer is, I, you know, in politics, I'm obsessed with the voter more than I am the candidate. And mm -hmm. in, in, in corporate marketing, I'm obsessed with the customer more yep. than I am the business. Because what if you knew that yours, the story you told as a business owner, I'm talking to anybody out there listening right now, right? What if you knew the story you told as a business owner, because it's your founder's story, and, and, and man, we love to tell our founder stories. We love it. I do it. I love it. All that stuff. But what if you knew your customers really only cared about 25% of your story? Mm -hmm. You would start tailoring your message around the 25%. Right. The same thing with voters. If you, Gary, as a candidate, want, you believe in 10, 20 different policy issues that you love and you know will help the state of Illinois, but you found out the candidates what would get you to be elected really are focused on two. You're going to be, you may keep all 10 in your platform or 20 in your platform, but you're going to focus on the communication of two to that audience that you know, yeah. that, that is, that, that they know that that's the most important issue to them. And it's an empathetic way of communicating, of marketing your business, of marketing your candidacy. It's about thinking of the other person before you think of yourself. And so that's what we've, we've always done that in politics. And when we applied that to businesses, we've had explosive results. We've, we work with Fortune 200 companies, small businesses, startups, B2B, B2C, e-com. And every time we utilize this particular formula, 
that I write about in the book, uh, we have you know unbelievable results. Sure, I love it. I love it. yeah, and and hundred percent. You you have to your customers first. I mean, if you if you can give your customers a product that they they rave about to their friends and, and other people in their industry, you've got a you've got a winner, right? And That's and right. to you can't just get there overnight, but you can get there a lot quicker, as you just said. If you can do the data and understand the, the points they they believe are most important to them, right? What are uh, the most important in your business? What are your customers or clients? What what is the most important? What, over the years, all your experience, what do they focus on the most? So we stumbled, you know, on the subject, you know, because we didn't use data, Philip. We stumbled right to understand that because we'd ask them, we'd ask our customers what was most important to them. But then when mm-hmm. they actually buy, it turns out to be something kind of different, right? Because mm-hmm. maybe it's right. the CFO behind the buy, not just their their personality or their needs, right? So um, I, I think we stumbled over time to understand that, but but I think we're better better at getting to the bottom of it by bringing all. You know, not just the the direct customer we deal with, but their whole team in to talk about their needs and what they're looking for. But I think every every business and every every um, product we deliver um, has some similarities, but then there are also some some differentiators as far as what we need. You know, we we have we have customers that are they're engineers and project managers, and we know to please them, we just give them the best engineering we can find in the world to support them and make them smarter for their. Their their uh, their bosses, right? Their their C uh, uh, level uh, bosses. We're doing it. You know, we're we're winning them over. But boy, you know what? If we can't perform that that job fast enough and efficiently right. enough at the highest quality, uh, all that doesn't even matter, right? Um. So 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 I guess you know we're always looking at who are the stockholders as customers, and I think we're better at that than we ever were. But I would tell you that we're we're not as uh, um, data driven on that as we could be. You know. So I became obsessed over this. I, the reason I'm asking, I'm so curious how founders and uh, CEOs look at these things, right? We, I became so obsessed with it. I, I create a partnership. We do this both in the political business we have and the corporate business. We have a partnership with the largest data collection, analytics, and AI company in America. And in our database, we have 200 million plus American consumers and voters, 550 million connected devices. We track 10 billion online purchasing decisions every day and a trillion searches. And we're able to, for the business owner, we're able to identify the top three values in the life of the consumer that consumes their product. And we're able to tell them what they read, what, the, where, what, what platforms they go on, what social media platforms they go on in a chronological order, whether they're buying things on those platforms or whether they're just consuming those platforms. We can tell them what they watch, specific shows. We can tell them the magazines or the newspapers they read. Um, and we can get so granular. I'll give you, let me give you an example. We work with a billion dollar title company out of Florida and they brought us in. They said, we have two other main competitors, Gary. And they said, help us. Um, we want to get an advantage over our competition. Now, no, no home buyer in the home buying process goes, you know what, what title company am I going to use in my, uh, when I go to my closing? Like that just doesn't happen. It's all real estate agent driven, right? So it's B2B. Yeah. And so the real estate agents, we, we, over, we, we got the list of real estate agents from that region and we overlaid it online and then we IP, address, we IP targeted them. So we were tracking what they did, not what they said. This goes back to exactly what you just said, right? What they say and what they do is different. And yeah. we found this is going to be insane. All right. So bear with me. This a business owner think he wants me to market his business to tell everybody in the marketplace, all the real estate agents, how great his business is. 
And what we found in the data was that 73% of the real estate agents we tracked owned dogs. How would you know that otherwise? Wow, that's so cool. So we started utilizing dogs in all their marketing. I love it. And that's not the sole reason that they're the number one title company in their market, but it is part of it. And everywhere they go, the dogs are in the office now. Uh, the dogs are at closing. They have uh, dogs in their ads. They have a bio page with the dogs in them. And all the real estate agents are like, I love the fact that you guys highlight these dogs. That, I, that makes me so happy. <clears throat> and in a B2B world, you're just trying to drive deeper connections. But how in the world would you know that unless we tracked their IP address, saw that 73% of real estate agents were buying dog food, visiting dog websites, and we all, all of a sudden knew we had a niche. We had an outlier strategy that we could employ. And that's what we're trying to do, whether it's in the political world or whether it's in the business world. Right. That's awesome. What a cool, what a cool concept. I love it. Yeah, you know, hold on a second. So for... Um, in, in, in our world, so it was about, um, you know, really discovering how do we dif differentiate from our, from our competitors, right, to serve our customers better. And we, we eventually started interviewing our customers, you know, what are your problems? What are your, yeah. what are your biggest, what, do, what, do you, what keeps you up at night, right? Asking a question, what, what keeps you up at night? From the uh, direct customer that deals with our teammates on the ground to the, to the uh, CFO and the, and the decision makers financially, right? And they vary, you know, they vary. But, but if, uh, if you can please their their intelligence on, in our industry, if you can please the intelligence on the ground with with differentiation to give them tools to make them way better and mm -hmm. and, and also make the the the, the CFO's job uh, easier, yeah. right? And, and then we had something, right? So that, that's you know we we started with that years ago, and and we we built a product to be to give give away basically the best engineering we can find in the world to our customers um, because we realized there's a deficit in general engineering in our business. And if we could find the best engineers, the most innovative engineers in the world, we had, we had something. I love so that. that. That's kind of what we did to build our business nationally. We basically lost the leader, was giving away the best engineering we could find in the world for our customers. Mm. And, our, and our businesses, by the way, then also grew because on board we had great engineers to guide our technology purchases. Our, our uh, you know, we, we're, we're now in, a, in, a, in an industry that's really kind of mom and pop. Mm -hmm. um, we, we're using artificial intelligence and, and uh, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're using drones for all our assessing instead of boots on the ground that we've had all along. That's our, amazing. Our, you know, drone pilots across the country are doing all the flyovers for our, 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 our engineers that used right. to be flying all over the place, spending, you know, costing us a lot of money. And, uh, and we did that to save money for ourselves, but ended up building a product that today is a technology company growing faster than anybody else in the, in the, in the world in that space of, facilities, assessment, facilities, due diligence, um, ex exterior, you know, pavements, roofs, and facades and all that. But again, that, that wouldn't have happened if we didn't really uh, have a passion to serve our customers better than our competition. Because um, it talk, took a lot of investment, and a lot of risk to, to build the products we built. Yeah. Um, but in the long run, boy, what a, what a differentiator and, and how strong we now. Now, guess what though, if we, if we rest on our laurels and say, Hey, we're, we got it. We got them. That, you know, and, that, and we serve our customers better than else because we figured this out 10, 15 years ago. Boy, watch out because, uh, we, we, you know, there'll be people um, kicking our butts with, with uh, innovation and, and customer data today that, that mm -hmm. we're not getting because we, right. we just think we're smart, right? So I agree 100%. And, uh, you know, on my, on my campaign right now, 
I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm probably not doing the best job of this because I, I don't, I, I, I translate a lot of things from, from business to politics, um, but I'm probably not, I'm probably not moving enough of, of my, my successes in business or how I built business into politics, right? It's kind of funny. Yeah, you're doing the opposite of what I do, right? I went from politics to business and you're doing the business to politics. I, you know, so I have this um, marketing system in place, but I, I'd be happy to show you how it worked in politics too. And I talk about, I tell this story in the book, but I think it would be relevant for your, for your podcast as well, if you're open to it. Love it. Yeah, let's go and shoot, man. I want to hear it. So really we have this five-step process, which is, I'll walk through it really quickly, but then I'll... Uh, I'll illustrate it in a story of a campaign and from 2020 we worked on. But basically every you know, political campaign that we work on, we, we go, first of all, we need to understand the voters, right? We need to know the issues that are driving them to vote for candidates, whether they're crossing party lines or voting for an unknown candidate. And the second is just like in your business, you put a business plan together, you put a plan together with an alignment between the vision of the candidate and the vision uh, of the voters right? What is the alignment there? You don't want to be out and stump talking about things the voters don't care about. You want to find the, the you want to, it, it has to be the things you care about, <clears throat> but where you have alignment with the voters. Step three is you put together your, your, your website, your brand, all those types of things. I, I never put the website or the brand together first because your brand should be about two or three things. That's it. And if you're going to drive and spend money on ads to drive people to your website, to learn more, donate, volunteer, support you, it better resonate with them. So why spend a dollar on, on, on any ads before the brand is on point? Step four is we, we test those messages that within those two or three messages, we test them a hundred different ways. A great example of this, uh, Gary, is in, uh, 2000, in, in, the, in the Trump campaign in 2016, they would, in this process, in the step four of this, this uh, marketing process for them, they would test one ad 162 different ways. One ad, one message. What? Holy yep. cow. Yep. Uh, Gary Kobe, uh, one of the digital directors for that campaign. They test one oh. ad 250 different ways. 162. What? 172 yep. different ways. Yeah. And what they would do is they literally would have one message and they would have a green background, a red background, a woman in the ad, a man in the ad, the man in the right corner, the woman in the left corner. They have different fonts, different sizes. They would do 162 versions of it. And ultimately, they found about eight or nine of just one message, eight or nine of those blew through the roof. And they had no idea why. But they knew they had to go do low-cost ad testing on one message, and they needed to do it 162 different ways. Now, they had a, you know, a lot of money. Uh, most candidates can't, you know, they want to, maybe they can test it 10, 10 ways, 20 ways, yeah. right? But ultimately, before they went out and spent a ton of money on an ad campaign, they had the certainty of the knowing what would work. They sure. also had their brand on point. So when they sent that, that voter back to the website, they knew that that would resonate with that voter, right? And the, the example I would give you is um, Congressman Roger Williams out of Texas. He, uh, last year, he was on the, uh, the Democrat Congressional Campaign Committee's top targeted list. His district is right outside of Austin, Texas, if that tells you anything. Yeah. And <laughs> even touches a part of, tech, of Austin. And we found during COVID, we were looking at the, all the voter data um, the, the, through our database. And we noticed that obviously healthcare was a major issue. And right at that point during COVID, this was back in like May and June of 2020, 
we knew that pre-existing conditions were a really big factor because people were realizing that they could die if they had a pre-existing condition. The Democratic National Committee said that they were going to start attacking Republicans on pre-existing conditions. So because we had that data from the voters, we, input, we had that data from the Democrats, we put a, a, you know, a, a media plan together for him. And then, so that's step two, right? And then we worked and, and identified how we were going to address it on his brand. And we identified it and put together on his website. And I'll tell you what it was in a second. And then we went out and tested the ad we were going to run to address this. And it blew through the roof. And what happened was that Roger Williams is a cancer survivor. And he has a pre-existing condition. And we knew the attack was going to come. And uh, I believe it was Julie Davis. I can't, don't hold me to that, but I think that was her opponent. I can't, I can't draw on a blank right now. But uh, in September of 2020, sure enough, she launched the pre-existing condition ad. And we had that thing in the can. And so all of a sudden, Roger Williams on camera talking about being a cancer survivor. We ran it in August before the attack came. And by the time the attack came, we kept running it. And it had no effect whatsoever. Roger ended up winning by double digits. He was the highest winning targeted Republican in the entire Congress with the highest winning percentage. And part of that was that we followed this five-step system. We blunted their attacks every single step of the way because we knew they were looking at the data too. We knew what they were going to attack us on. And we were able to address that before they did. And because we followed this five-step system and we were more innovative than them, Roger won with the highest percentage of any targeted Republican congressional member uh, that ran in the state of Texas that year. Okay, so that's, you know, your number four was testing messages, you know, yep. 100 different ways. What was five? Uh, thank you. Step five is now that you know everything that's gonna work, you launch your real campaign. You launch your ad campaign because you've eliminated your risk. You know, you're probably raising a lot of money right now. You're probably maybe even spending some of your own money right now. Your dollars are precious. Yeah. And you need to make sure that every step of the way you're eliminating your risk, just like you do in business. Sure. And for us, this five-step system eliminates as much risk as humanly possible. In business, it eliminates the risk to almost guarantee a profit. In, court, in the political sphere, you got to understand, you're competing against whether you're in a primary or whether you're in a general election, you're competing against uh, your opponents are all utilizing this exact same system. So who's going to out-innovate who? Sure. You, uh, you a Chicago Bears fan? I am a Bears fan, yeah. White can Sox. I, and Bears. Can I give you how it works, the Chicago Bears, the system? Yeah, sure. So I'm feeling so, I feel like it's not very well, but yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, this is what I'm saying. Like every sports team uses this system and all of their opponents use this system. So it's the matter of who out innovates who in the system. And the way it works is this. The Bears, let's say they play the Packers the week before, and then the next week they're playing the Vikings. Okay. And the first thing they do when they come back to the facility on Monday is what do they do? They look at game tape. They look at the data of the previous weeks. They look at the, the Vikings game tape. They're looking at all the data to assess what they need to do to win the game the next game. The next step is the coaches put a game plan together. They put in step two. They put a strategic plan together. Step three, the, who is the owner of the Bears now? Uh, it's um, it's the analysis. Okay. Well, it's McCaskey, uh, so the Hallis yeah. Hallis 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 Hallis. Yeah. All right, the McCaskies 
they get the brand right. They clean the stadium before the game. You can't walk into a dirty stadium. They wash the jerseys. They get the, uh, the concessions in line. Everything is on point on brand because you can't send fans into a stadium when the brand isn't on point. Yep. Step four, testing. What do the players do all week? They practice the game plan. They practice the plays all week long. They figure out what plays work and what plays don't. They figure out what tendencies they have that they need to work through. They practice, 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 and then they figure out what works. And then what happens Sunday? They go play the game. Same thing. Do they always win? No, it's the one that out-innovates that wins. And that's the same way it is on a political campaign. The only area that I have seen that does not utilize this system, by the way, lawyers use it to win cases, venture capital companies use it to invest in companies, like it's on and on and on, is business marketers. And so if you utilize this formula in the business marketing sphere, you're the only one utilizing it in your industry. Yeah. Against your competition. Sure, sure. I love it. Um, and tell, so tell, tell us uh, the DeSantis race. Do, do they use this system? And uh, I mean, he barely, he barely won his race, right? And, yeah, and, so fascinating. Far, yeah. He won far left socialist, I think, right? Yeah, he, uh, he, Andrew Gillum, the... Um, uh, the meth smoking uh, former mayor of Tallahassee. Oh, Tallahassee. Yeah, Tallahassee. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah who got caught uh, with meth in his uh, hotel room with some prostitutes about a year and a half ago. So, um, so, so just, just think about think about that. I mean, you, uh, uh, DeSantis only won by... Uh, 30,000 votes. 30,000 30, votes. What is mil- that? Out of like uh, four or five million. So one-tenth of one percent, basically, I think. Right, something like that. Uh, okay, so you think about that. Um, how, how amazing Florida is today because you, you know, DeSantis has shown what a great leader he is, right? What would it look like, right? Elections have consequences. What would it look like? And, and uh, you know, if, and you think of Illinois, right? Electing who we have, Chicago electing a mayor they did, and Illinois <laughs> electing the governor they did, and what we look like today comparable, comparably to, you know, what, what uh, Florida looks like or could, you know, could have looked like. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, casting a vision, casting a vision for those voters and the buyers in, in a business, in, in a business, you're casting your, that vision to your, your teammates as well as your customers, right? In, in, in uh, an election, you have to cast, this, you, you, ultimately, not many people do a good job, in my opinion, but casting a vision, what it, what it could look like if we stay on the same track, you know, kind of a negative look for 20 seconds of a 60 second ad, and then, you know, 40 seconds of what it will look like if, if the right leadership gets, you know, comes into place. And boy, you could you could use uh, Florida as a perfect example, couldn't you? And and, and Illinois uh, on the negative side would a perfect Absolutely. example. But uh, is that how's that play into you know what what you're doing too? So we were working with an organization uh, to help Ron DeSantis, and um, they are a school choice uh, organization, a very aggressive one. I like them a lot. These are my kind of people. And we found out in the data in step one that um, when we did our data and we did our research, we found out Andrew Gillum, the, the Democratic opponent, he didn't want to talk about school choice. It's a big issue down here. We have hundreds of thousands of low-income, mostly minority kids in either charter schools or voucher programs down here. Cho- parents have, have educational choice in the state of Florida, a lot of it. And um, Gillum, was, we, we had him on... Uh, a recording saying that he was going to eliminate charter schools in the voucher program down here. So what did we do? Well, we had the data. We put a plan together. 
Uh, we created a, a brand, a website around this issue. And then we, part of the data was we were going to target, we wanted to target um, the parents that would be affected by these changes, the parents of these kids. It ended up being about 110, we were able to identify 110,000 um, mostly African-American women. And the reason we were able to find them was we ran the largest geofarming campaign in the history of American politics, still to this day. Geofarming is we were able to identify a certain location where these charter schools were located. We were able to go back in the past, grab the IP addresses of everybody in the school, figure out if it was a FedEx driver because they came in and out or whether it was a consistent IP address. It was a teacher, it was a principal, or it was a parent. And we were able to identify, again, 110,000 females, mostly parents, mostly minority, and we ended up running an ad to them with Andrew Gillum talking about eliminating their charter schools or their voucher schools. And we ran that ad. On average, the 110,000 targets saw the ad on average 30 times. We, we delivered that mother trucker over and over and over. That's awesome. And on election day, Ron DeSantis got or think around 100 or 90,000 or 100,000 uh, African-American women to vote for him against an African-American candidate. That was 50%, uh, that was, excuse me, that was 66% uh, 66, 66 more African-American vote than Rick Scott got in the same election that he won, won the Senate race on. It was 50% more African-American vote than Donald Trump got in 2016, two years earlier. And Wall Street Journal, we have a case study at our website at gobigmediainc.com. But the case study is the Wall Street Journal came out and said school choice moms won the election for Ron DeSantis. Yeah, they, they, they delivered 200% more than the difference of votes that he won by. That's right. Crazy. All because we followed this, we figured out in the data where we, could, where we had an opportunity to take advantage. We, we knew we had to educate these voters on what was going on because they cared about one issue more than anything else, their children's safety and a good education. And we told them one candidate's going to keep your kid in your school and one candidate's going to take them out. Yeah. And they Jeez. voted on one issue. African-American women voted for a white Republican over a black Democrat. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. You know, we have, we have a similar issue in Chicago, except we don't have we don't have as many kids in charters in, in charter schools as Florida does as a percentage for sure. I mean, not close, but uh, you know, they, they, the last governor did some good things to incentivize uh, people to give to that community by, by creating a 70% uh, tax write-off, yep. 70, 75% tax write, 75% tax write-off. Yeah. It needs to be a hundred. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. This governor that we have was trying to take that away. Yeah. Okay. I have no doubt. So, so we've got an opportunity with that subject for sure. And I, I was with some, some people that head up this, the uh, main association for charter schools and ed educating on the importance of charter schools across America. Um, they spoke at the RGA you know, a couple of days ago and I, I sat next to the uh, COO and mm -hmm. she, uh, you know, she was getting me educated on, on you know, what they do and why it's so important. And, uh, you know, the, the key is, uh, there's a few keys, I think, well, you, you have to, Somehow we have to create the scholarship program. I don't think people understand vouchers, vouchers as well. And heck, I, I kind of knew, but I, I, I think you just call it a scholarship. 
people people resonate to that more faster i think and uh um that, that was one message i got of this they're using scholarship as, yep. as a terminology now instead of voucher um, but you know, here we here in Illinois, we, we're spending about we're spending the most in the country now, sixteen thousand. I think it's like sixteen thousand eight hundred dollars per student now. Yeah. All right, and if you could take a percentage of that, and, and you know, let's say half of it, and, and talk, talk about a scholarship program that the government you know allows those parents to spend on on alternate school if they want to, right? Where's the downside of that? I mean, right. uh, shouldn't be any. The downside, well, no, is, the downside is the unions are as, as, as uh, uh, powerful. Downside of the unions uh, would have to compete, you know. Yeah. And, and, uh, this and is, sure. a, by the way, this is an issue I've been on the front lines on for 20 years. Uh, helped establish the voucher scholarship program in New Orleans, D.C., uh, and about 20 other states. Uh, oh. It's it's uh, it's it, it's a powerful force <laughs> in yeah. Illinois. Holy cow! It is, and. and- <laughs> Thank you for doing what you're doing, and, and again, if you can win, if we can win that in Illinois, what a what a difference that can make in our schools right. the, for so the many kids. For the most expensive expensive uh, um, K through 12 education in the country, maybe maybe one of the most in the world, um, and yet the uh, the results aren't so good. Yeah. We're we're in the, in the bottom five percent or whatever that is. I think you know I don't think we're I don't know if we're bottom, but I think, but I think we're from what I saw. I think bottom three or four, which you know. Bottom two and a half, I guess, would be bottom five percent in the mm. country, which is crazy. Paying the most, getting the least, right? <laughs> Insane. Uh, that where where I know Jeb Bush was part of that originally in Florida, bringing yep. that to the yep. table. Uh, right. did, did a good job. And I think he would. You think Florida at the time was number forty seventh or something like that, and 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 uh, performance for for yeah. their, uh, their their schools. And uh, I think now they're maybe seventeen or I mean they, they're way down. They're they're you know in the top twenty anyway. And I think those results are consistent in Tennessee and, and Indiana and other states that have, that have embraced, um, you know, the the, the uh, charter school programs and and, uh, and and scholarships, right, for through government. Yeah, so I'd love I'd love to your ear on that sometime to get get yeah, your on that and you know how we how we look at that because I think it's important very important we're, we're we're you know we're losing our education systems in Illinois right now because. The uh, legislators are are passing laws on a consistent basis lately that that are just undermining, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the ability for the community to educate their kids. The, uh, the legislators think that they're the ones that should be educating them. Right? It's crazy. Right. And the, and the unions. So. it's a powerful force when you try to take somebody's money away and power away. Yeah, hundred percent. Powerful fight. Uh, yep, and, and especially when you have politicians that are are but, from it. Yeah, and, uh, the the they, most success we've seen is when the parents are the biggest advocates. Uh, we had the governor in, in Louisiana now, uh, John Bell Edwards. He tried to pull the funding out of the scholarship program in Louisiana a couple years ago, and so uh, same group in Florida hired us in Louisiana, and we ran an ad where we got African American moms on camera that said John Bell Edwards lied to me. And then we ran that ad statewide, and I that was a, a pretty big S storm that came uh, that came for every like it was it was a crazy few weeks, and ultimately the power of the parent blew everything out of the water, and he ended up leaving the scholarship bill as is, and that has not touched it since in years since. And um, you have to you have to fight with your gloves off in that in in, in this, and you have to utilize. The people that would be affected and, and serve the most, and that's the parents. Yeah, 
Power of the parents. I love that. I think yeah. it's a great, great way to look at that. Good, good tagline, by the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, what, what, what are your thoughts on what, what you're seeing in schools across America, even you know, and in, in, in states that are, you know, I looked at uh, you know North Carolina, who I thought was kind of you know, more centered than than Illinois and some of these other states who, who passed a bill recently um, where 12 year olds and older can choose if they want the vaccine or not without parental uh, yeah, not. parental approval, right? Right. That was just passed, and, and how crazy is that? And uh, you know what 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 do uh, you know what do parents do? To fight that right i mean it's it's uh but you're right power of the parents if parents rose up and said not my not my kids not in my house right <clears throat> and got fired up and maybe they are I'm, i haven't followed it down there maybe they are but boy how crazy is it when a 12 year old um can't make can't make a lot of decisions as far as you know drinking alcohol and smoking dope and all the other things right but they can choose to take a vaccine that's uh, that's not even uh not even approved by the fda right not even right. tested not even tested on, on kids on kids and the I mean, fastest vaccine to ever hit the market in the history of the world yeah yeah so i mean the, the power of the parents boy they got hopefully they're going to rise up there and, and uh, take that back that's so, right um and, and how, how have you seen um communities like that let's say the community of parents in a state or, or uh how have you seen their strength their strength in numbers or or, or their voice rise up to uh change legislation that's uh not in their benefit you kind of have to have an organization that organizes them and puts them all together. And that's where all of a sudden when they get together, they realize they have a lot more power than they do by sitting in their house saying, I'm frustrated. And so we worked with the, the group I'm talking about, the American Federation for Children. And they are, you know, in, in tons of states, they look and go see where they can have opportunities in states and they fight hard but they also help get these parents organized. Another organization I used to work for uh, has been a, a client of mine is the, it's called BAO, the Black Alliance for Educational Options. And they help have really been helpful in organizing um, a lot of the African-American parents. And then when you, you know, and minority parents, Hispanic parents, um, and then when you bring those people together, you basically have an opportunity to have a large voice. And then you bring them in front of a elected official and that elected official doesn't have it. They backed into a pretty big corner, but on their own, they don't really, or, you know, they, it's just like anybody. It's just hard to organize anybody that's trying to raise their kids. Um, it's really hard when they have a million, they've got jobs, uh, their kids have activities um, and they're trying, you know, just to live day to day and be successful in their own life. And so you really have to have a combination of a parent's voice and somebody behind them that can organize them and help them. Yeah, it's funny because I'm looking for the name of the COO um, because uh, that uh, it was it was the American Federation for Children that was at the event I was telling you about. Oh yeah, they're great, man. They're the best. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, yeah. I have uh, they've been a client of mine for 16 years continuously, and uh, I love them. Awesome, hey. Uh, so how many clients do you have all together on the corporate side and the, on the political side? And uh, tell us about that. And then tell us about the biggest races that your team has led um, to win. So on the corporate side, we typically do around 10 to 12 at a time. Uh, we don't want to, we, we, we feel like that's our sweet spot. So that's, that's kind of where we land. Um, on the political side, it just depends on the time of year and the time of the election cycle. I mean, right now we're, 
and uh, doing statewide races in Arizona and Alaska, New York, Michigan, um, and in other states as well. Uh, but uh, you know, the biggest races we've been a part of. Um, obviously, we we've, we've done some super PACs for Donald Trump in 2016. We were a part of Joni Ernst win in Iowa last cycle and um, Susan Collins in Maine. We've, uh, I mean, I, I'm trying to think, we, oh, John Sununu in New Hampshire. Um, and um, I, I could give you about, well, I could give you 1,407, but those are some of the more recent ones that we've held. And uh, where, where's the... Uh... Where's a uh, underdog that you that you remember, like the biggest underdog win that you guys had fun? You know, when when people say, "Good night," and I, I'm here. I hear plenty of people saying, "Ah, come on, Raybine, there's no way." You know, that you're you're going to go up against a billion. If you win the when you win the primary, and I believe I will, you know, then you got to go up against this billionaire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you think you're wasting your time? Come really? I mean, right? look in in uh, Bobby Jindal was a 31 year old. Indian American who ran for governor during the Iraq war in the deep South. Yeah, I remember. Mm. So, um, and the fact is, is not only did he, uh, he won two seats to Congress, won two terms to governor and, you know, ran, ran for president. It didn't make it very far, but it did run for president. Yeah. And my point is that, you know, that's, that's pretty big underdog right there. Absolutely. And, and uh, we ran a, a primary with 17 candidates. He had no name ID. And um, for, gov for governor? Yep. Wow. Yeah. And that's the, in Louisiana, they have the jumbled primary. So it's Republicans and Democrats all running in one. And then the top two go into a runoff. Right. <laughs> you know. I kind of like that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it, it gets two candidates, one way on the right and one way on the left. There's yeah. no, if you're in between, you can go make it. Okay. That's true, too. Yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of odd, right? That's, yeah. that's the downside to that. That's right. You're not going to get somebody, you're going to get two, <laughs> two people probably in the middle that are, that are more centered for the, for the populace. Huh. That's interesting. And then, uh, and then you know, a business story. What's your, what's your best business story of you know, helping a company go from uh, you know, maybe not so well-known to well-known? Uh, yeah, we work with a national pest control company. Um, and they, uh, they came to us. They were, they're a 36-year-old company. They came to us and said, uh, on the backs of the Great Recession, they decided to market their entire business on discounts back in 2000, from about 2009 to about 2016. <clears throat> and from 2016, and they built their business, uh, and they, I think they 4 x their business just on this one guess of a marketing strategy, discounts on everything, because people right, were trying to save money, so it worked, until it didn't work. The economy had gotten so well by 2016 that people saw discounts uh, and they weren't buying their, they weren't hiring this company anymore. They had spent $2 million in marketing and lost, uh, I think, $1.8 million spending in marketing and lost $2 million market share after spending $1.8 million. And they couldn't wow. figure out why. And they were like, but discounts have always worked. We can't figure out why. And so we went in and overlaid their entire customer list to figure out what was going on. Their customers were over 55. Kids were mostly out of the household. They weren't spending money in the, on their kids. They were spending it in the community. They had discretionary income. They saw discounts as cheap and unsafe. 
but they bundled all of their services we found in the data, <clears throat> like cable and phone and all those things. And so we said, instead of offering discounts, why don't you bundle termite pest, bundle all these services? That way they feel like they're saving money and they feel smart. And I said, do you guys contribute to charities? They said, absolutely. And I said, well, this older generation of customer doesn't have kids, so they're volunteering in their communities. They're, um, they're giving money to charities. They need to know your story. And then lastly, we found out that their customers, because they had money, they cared about quality more, and they wanted a green product that when they sprayed all over their house, kept their animals safe. And they had a green product, this company, and they'd never marketed before. So we rearranged, we went through the steps, wrote the plan, re, we literally tore down their whole website and rebuilt the whole thing, shot ads um, with a lot of humor in them, but including all of these messages. And on month five of working with us through our system, they had the greatest month in the history of their company. Wow. 36 year old national pest control company. And I can say we work with a 107 year old furniture store chain right now, national furniture stores chain. And they just had the greatest month in the history of their company. And we work with a law firm out of New York right now. They're over a 30 year old law firm. And they just had the greatest month in the history of their company. And the reason is not me, is because we eliminate their risk in their marketing. And we follow a systematic formula on how they can grow their business. And every one of them has grown. And some of them have the best months ever. Cool, that's gonna, yeah. that's gonna be a lot of fun. And then, they, and, you, and you work uh, for your customers like a monthly type of thing, monthly basis, annual basis per, per hour. How do you guys do that? Yeah. So I wrote a book, uh, Gary, about three years ago. Uh, the title of that book was called Fire Them Now, The Seven Lies Digital Marketers Sell and the Truth About Political Strategies That Help Businesses Win. And I lay out these lies that marketers tell. And the crazy thing is most marketers in politics are more ethical than most corporate marketers. <laughs> So I laid it out. So one of the things that we do in politics, you probably have already seen this uh, with your campaign, whoever is working with you. We have month to month contracts. There's no guarantee in a contract that I've ever had in politics in 25 years. Uh, there's no six month guarantee contract. There's no three month guarantee contract. There's no 12 month guarantee contract. The, by the way, the private equity firms hate this model. I get it. But the fact is, is that I've never not been on the clock every single month. My ass is on the line every single month or I'm out of business. Yeah. That's how it works in politics. So I just decided to take that to the corporate world. So every business that works with us has a month to month contract with us. They can fire us at any time. Do you know what that does to my employees? Sure. <laughs> Do you know where their focus goes? The focus goes on the business, not on us trying to get a cheap sell and trying to get money in the bank. Because if we do something that doesn't put the business owner first, we're out of business. It's the same thing in politics. The sure. month to month contract ensures that you as a candidate is are served first. If we win, then we can tout the win and market the win and we get more business. But I have to put the candidate first every single time because my ass is on the line every single month because I could get fired at any moment. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I like it. In, in the same respect in business, I mean, you know, you're that's you're, right. You're gonna work, go to work for somebody. You get to prove yourself, or it's easy, easy to get out of it. And not, you know, I, I, I I've always valued that type of contract. We're, we're kind of same with our customers. If you don't yeah. like us, you know, let us know. Give us a chance if you can. But if not, we, you know, our goal is to be the best, you know, best uh, part, partner we can be. And if we're not that, 
we, you know, tell us why. And if, 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 if we don't want you to hire us, if we're not the best value, and if you can continue to, to tell your customer that they're going to be honest with you and tell you where they're not feel, feeling the value, hopefully. Right. Totally. Make you yeah. Better. You know, where, where focus goes, energy flows. So with our team, they know we, we have to serve our clients first or we're out of business and that's where their energy goes. So everybody is totally obsessed with our, with our clients, everybody in our company. And that's because there's no guarantee for us next month. Right. And that serves the business owner or the candidate first. And then we re like, here's the thing in the business world. Let me just say this. There are so many marketing agencies that make you sign 12 month contracts or six month contracts. Right. And if you have a bad month or they screw you over, you can't do anything about it. Yep. My thing is, why would I go after short money? Why would I go after a short payday? If I can grow that business, right? They're going to be a client for the next 20 years. Absolutely. And that's going to make me a lot of money. So why wouldn't I put their needs first? And, and I learned that through politics because we always put the politician first before we put our, our company's bottom line. Wouldn't it be nice if the, uh, if the political leaders had a, uh, there's a way to, to fire them fast, like, we do in, <laughs> like you'd like to do any good, any good business, right? And the idea is, you know, when you're, as you're building a team, fire fast, right? And, you yeah, know, don't, oh, totally. Hire slow, fire, fire fast, right? Fire slow, fire fast, right? You're going to hire yeah. somebody slow. You're going to make sure the culture is right because you don't want to fire anybody. And that's not that's who right. are. But when they're not, when they're not passionate, when they are, they're not honest or they're, whatever, they're not, they're not living your core values or can't live your core values, right? Ideas to fire fast, right? How beautiful would that be if we uh, you get somebody in office that promises tax cuts and and safety, and they get an office and and, and taxes go up by twenty percent, right. and the and 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 public safety is at an all time low. Hey, dude, uh, you know what? Your thirty days is up here coming up, and you know we had another hundred people got shot last weekend. Um, you're not getting it. You're out, right? How beautiful would that be? I know it's 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 month to month term limits. I like this. Term limits are definitely yeah one month term limits right you got to you got to you got to um, you have to and it's only only executed on on you know drastic issues when when you when yeah. you really uh, you really pissed off the the, the customer or you know yeah. the, which is the, the voter right but it would it'd be a beautiful thing if that could be that could be the case I'm sure it's like pie in the sky. I mean you know it's pie in the sky but if you can envision it we could probably do it so we got to think about well that. I think but you know this the frustration we have with government is um, in business right. We try things all the time and sometimes they don't work and we recalibrate and we refocus and then we figure out what did I learn from that mistake and how can I get better? The way the media complex is set up today, if any politician does what they say they're going to do and tries something and it doesn't work, it is a catastrophe. It is the end of the world. How could he be so stupid and fail? It's like, are you crazy? I fail every day. Like that's part of my superpower is that I, I can deal with failure and learn from it. It's just feedback. Failure is only feedback. But exactly. what we have is a bunch of politicians that do a lot of talk and then they don't take any action. Yes, exactly. And that's why, that's why too many consultants, I think, you know, I've had this on my side, right? Where uh, the consultants would tell me, Gary, you can't say that. I mean, I, you know, I made a mistake at an interview saying that, uh, I, I'm, I'm not that intelligent when it, or no, what I say, I'm not, okay, so they, asked, they asked me, you know, was, uh, did, was Trump's election, was, was the election stolen from Trump? Yeah. And I said, honestly, I can't say I'm smart enough to understand that. I'm, I'm not a data scientist. I'm not a, a, voting, a voter expert. I, and so, and I, I said, whether it's 10,000 votes that are stolen or 10 million, people need to go to jail and we need to make it easy to vote and impossible to cheat. I said, that would be a goal. Okay, well, 
the last 90 percent of what I just said was not not repeated. It was of course not. we had hearing right. about voter fraud, and, and right. was, all he said was he's not smart enough to to uh, to really address that. And so so again, you have to be careful. And consultants often will tell you, you know, you can't be, you've got to be more infallible. You, you know, you can't admit you're not smart. You can't admit that. I say, well, you know, bullshit. That's not me. I guess I got to understand how I message things. But uh, the reason maybe I, you I, shouldn't. Maybe that's who you are. Maybe that's authentic. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think I, voters value authenticity more than they do staged answers. They do, but you just have to be careful. How the media will twist what you say by being authentic. Yeah, of course. And for me, I'm not going to be who I'm not. I'm not going to be anybody I'm not. And, I, and my success in my life has been, I, I, I you know, because I, I, I have a high school education, at the beginning of my career, I was all ears, man, learning from the best people I can find and, 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 and knocking on doors for people that had been there and done it before me, uh, you know, basically building a network of friends and, and, and confidants that I could rely on. And that that went from being the, the local driveway guy, steel coning mm-hmm. and paving driveways, to the to the national person, you know, paving more park, you know, parking lots than anybody in the base of the in the country or the world. And and it became that because I, I'm still knocking on doors today, trying to find the minds that yeah. that will that that will help me understand the things that they're experts at that I'm not. And and too often, in my opinion, the leaders uh, you know fail because they they want to present themselves as the smartest person in the room they walk into. And that's impossible, right? That's just impossible, and that's that's craziness. And uh, politicians today, from the right and left, in my opinion, um, you know, take credit for all the good stuff and and uh, point the finger when th- bad things happen yeah. instead of doing what's right and taking <laughs> taking responsibility for the mistakes and the and the and the and the, 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 the fast failures, hopefully, right? And then and then giving the credit to the people that that really that on the team instead of taking credit for themselves when things go well. So again, it's, it's a different concept, but it's the only concept as a leader that you, that you and I all know, right? It's the only concept for, if we're going to lead and grow is for people to follow us and people to be inspired by us, boy, we better be, we better be authentic, right? You have to. So again, that, that'll, be, that'll be a challenge for me and how I talk to media because they will take the sound bites or, you know, especially the, the papers, they'll take, the, they'll take what they want to take and yeah. leave stuff behind. And I've seen they that will. a couple that's why you got to raise money so you can get your message out authentically. Yeah, you're right about that. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So, so what's your what's what's your future look like? You're a young guy still. How many how many kids you got? Married? What? Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, I've been married ten years. I have an eight year old daughter, one and done, and um, we uh, were living in florida we we actually lived out hey, quit, of DC. hey quit bragging about that freedom stuff all right florida freedom right? <laughs> no i live listen i lived in I, I did the um i did the covid move seven years earlier i was in washington dc for about 20 years and we were living in the city and my wife and i went hold on we're paying 9.85 percent city income tax on top of federal taxes that you can't send your kids to public school there are no services other than you just live in a in a in a sophisticated you know, city with good restaurants, raising a kid here, your kid can't ride her bike down the street because there are drug dealers in, in the streets we were living in. And you went, you know, why are we living here? The, the city doesn't want us. It doesn't want us. And I wrote a whole blog about it a couple of years ago to my subscriber list about the, the power of incentives. And so we took a trip to Florida. We, we were in a town called Seaside, Florida. It's in the panhandle, what I affectionately call the Redneck Riviera. Yeah. And and uh, my wife and I went, we, we saw kids riding bikes without parents around. We saw this, you know, kind of utopia of safety and love and kindness. And we went, why are, why are we putting up with all that? Why are we doing that? We loved living in the city. 
but it's not for family and they don't want us. And, you know, by the way, I was, you know, I would go into restaurants in night in 2008, 2009, and people would say, what do you do? And I'd say, I'm a Republican media guy. And they would ask me to leave. They canceled. I was getting canceled well before other people were getting canceled. <laughs> and I just went, why, why am I here? Like, like, I wouldn't, my wife is more of a liberal than I am. I didn't judge her for that. I'd listen to what she has to say. Um, I don't, you know, like, I, I don't understand how the most open-minded people in the world are the most closed-minded people in the world, right? Or the people that say they're the most open-minded. So uh, I just said, you know what? I'm going to go where I'm wanted. And Florida said, you're wanted, come on. And my business now saves uh, close to 10% every year in taxes. Um, and, you know, my daughter goes to an amazing school. Um, and you know, your, your schools, as you probably, as you, as you probably know, um, are the, are the uh, lowest cost in the country, your public yeah. schools. And your, and your performance is in the top, you know, 30, or 40% or whatever it is, yeah. right? Top thirty percent, I guess, and and it's and your perform, but your cost is the lowest. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're, yeah, you're, you're crazy. really you're really close to somebody, Tennessee or somebody, I think, in cost. But you're right. I, I just looked at these numbers the other day. You know, that's that's pretty good value, man. When you're in the top twenty, thirty percent, and your costs are the lowest. Yeah, and you, have, and you have the choice if you don't like those public schools that are only in the top thirty or forty percent, and um, instead of top ten percent that you might want. Well, guess what? You got this, you got the scholarship program, man. Take that's them somewhere right. else. I mean, and let me tell you the greatest part about it. I live in this town where almost everybody's an entrepreneur that, has, that moves here because there's nothing else to do other than start businesses, right? Do you know how nice it is not to live in a town that's all political, where everybody's fighting for power instead of yeah. fighting to serve? Like the, the entrepreneurs of the world are the people that serve other people. And yep. too many people in politics, whether you work on Capitol Hill or you're a politician or whatever it is, they're fighting for power, right? And it's such a refreshing thing every day to sit around and talk about how we help people through entrepreneurship rather than uh, how I need to increase, uh, get my congressman on a certain committee so he'll have more power in Congress. Yeah. Those conversations are very different, and I'm very blessed that I have different ones now. 100%. You know, Philip, when you're around people that, you know, we find over and over and over again, right, in, in our, in our, uh, podcast right that that uh, the best the, the best uh, people in business and in life that that uh, have the most success at whatever they want to be successful at um the, the underlying values is, is that service that servant yeah. servant mind right that they have and uh it, it's just not that difficult to understand that if you if you if you really love the the, the market you're serving the people you're serving and you strive to be to, to serve them at a world-class level you can find all the, all the mentorship and wisdom in the world to do that if you really want to now now more than ever. And man, success just kind of happens, and that's something. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's the success that you want as a family putting your kids through college, or success you want in building an incredible enterprise value that outlasts your own life. Um, that's 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 cool. And there's no no there's no country like America that allows us to do that. I mean, that's you right. can have all the servant mentality you want in uh, China. I'm sorry, dude. You just you're not going to have the opportunity that we have here. Um, Russia, China, Venezuela. I mean, think of all these countries that are that are unfortunately these poor these people, these beautiful people, are strapped to a to communist system where they they can have all the all the servant mind and mentality they want, but they can't duplicate and create and and, and grow that 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 mind that mindset in an entrepreneurial way like we can here, right? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, my grandmother was born in 1914. I have a context, even though my generation, I'm 47, hasn't really made many sacrifices, right? We, there's no draft. There's no depression in my, my lifetime. But my grandmother would talk about the depression. She talked about World War II, right? She talked about being a widow at uh, 55 years old. And this generation coming up, the ones that are woke, the ones that are uh, telling us how terrible everything is, they've never had to sacrifice for anything or they have no context of what sacrifice actually is. And we have, as a country, we've been unwilling to allow any kind of sacrifice since the Vietnam War. When the, when, the, when the world crashed, I'm not saying we shouldn't have bailed out. I don't know. I'm not, like you said earlier, I'm not smart enough to know that. But I do know that a United States senator's chief of staff looked at me during the bailouts in 2008 and said, we're the first generation that refuses to sacrifice and fail. Mm-hmm. And where would this country would be right now had we let things collapse? I don't know. I'm not an expert on this. I may be misinterpreting this. But it feels like we would have spent years, five, six years in a, in a dark place. But out of that dark place could have been reborn in an incredible country if we were allowed to sacrifice. But nobody is allowed to sacrifice. Even during COVID, no one's allowed to have their own freedoms and choices. And if we decide that I, I don't want to wear a mask and I get sick and I have to sacrifice, that's my choice. Yeah. You know? Well, Philip, as you, you just mentioned, I mean, my, my thing, I said this in the first month of the when they identified COVID and we're looking at, you know, they're looking at what they're going to do you know, to, are they going to bail out businesses in the future? And only a month in they're talking about bailouts already, right? Yeah. I, I'm sickened, sickened by that, right? Because um, if we're not, if we're not planning to bail out businesses, we're not planning on businesses to fail. We're not planning to shut down and choose winners and losers in business and jobs, right? And so for me, I, I was so bothered by the fact that, that, that their, their conservative you know, president, our Republican president, started talking about that stuff early on, uh, because I think that gave the opportunity for people to become victims, not just people, but businesses, small businesses and huge businesses to become victims, boom, like that. Okay, we're going to be victims. We're going to get bailed out. Let's embrace the victimhood, right? Let's all embrace the victimhood, not just individuals, mm-hmm. but businesses, small and large. Unfortunately, during that time where we're picking winners and losers, many businesses went out of business. Many small businesses couldn't get through it. And, and uh, you know, the big businesses, somehow they're picked as winners. Hey, they stay open. You know, the big, big, bigger businesses, bigger corporations with lobbyists, somehow they were able to stay open when the small guys, small girls, right, and, and mom and pops weren't. And so I saw, I saw this craziness where we, we you know, the, the, uh, um, uh, everybody planned on the bailouts. And, and it, like you said, what did it do? made us much weaker. It grew government. You know, big government sucks. Big government is not good. Big government becomes socialist and a socialist and communist, um, uh, you know, look, right, profile. And, uh, and unfortunately, that's, that's what we're seeing. We have to fight it and, and we have to, you know, we, we have to understand that um, we're all victors, not victims. And, and if we can embrace our, our challenges to get stronger, we're all going to be better off, including small business, big business, individuals, our, 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 uh, our families. Um, but you're right about that. I mean, we, we, we don't want anybody to fail. We don't want anybody to be hurt. And I think that's a, I think that's a plan of big government to, more than anything else that, to, to grow bigger. So I, I, I want to, something we're seeing in our data right now, I, I want to tell you about, and then I'd love to get your take on it. So, you know, we, we hear about the labor shortage in the marketplace right now. What we're seeing in our data right now is for the first time ever, 
the employee market is in charge of the employer market. <laughs> they hold all the cards. When I, I was out in uh, Wyoming uh, with my family on a trip this summer, uh, the Starbucks was offering free college scholarships for people to work for them. The gas station, the, to work behind the counter at the gas station, and when we were filling up our car one day, $21 an hour. They can't get anybody to work. Last night, uh, Emeril Lagasse, the famous chef, he, he lives where I live, and he's got a restaurant down here. It's a fantastic seafood restaurant. I was going to take a friend there. They called me and said, we can't get enough people to work. We're closed tonight on a, on a Tuesday. In the middle of the summer, when all the tourists are here, the employee market is in charge right now. And you know, I, have, I have people that are getting, that work for me, that are literally getting hit up every day on LinkedIn by headhunters saying, I can get you more money, I can get you a bigger title, leave that company. Yeah. It is insane. I've never seen anything like this. It is, and, and you know what? So, so I, was, I was with a friend of mine downtown Chicago, Will, who, uh, bootstrapped the, the growth of nine great bars and re bar restaurants great ones and uh he he uh he had he was a very good great he's a great entrepreneur so he figured out all different ways to figure out how to make money outside the businesses that were shut down all some all, all year last year and uh finally able to open up here you know uh, a couple months ago basically started opening up in a real way and i uh, started his first you know first one back the next one back now he's back to all nine Problem is exactly what you said. Here in Illinois, we haven't cut off the bonuses to unemployment. I, I think you guys have now, right, Florida? Yeah, but the problem is, is that in the restaurant industry, they've got, moved on from those jobs. They yeah. went, I don't want to work in this industry. They went out and got educated or took certificates and did something else and went into other fields. They can't yeah, get people true. to come right. back into the industry. So, so think what it looks like up here, you know, Philip. We got both. The checks and, yeah. Yeah. We got both. So this friend, friend of mine, I'm his uh, restaurant for lunch. He's, he's only partially open because he can't find a deal. He's got this amazing place he's paying huge taxes on. I mean, crazy, you know, $150,000 tax on a, in, in the middle of Chicago on a building that's uh, maybe it's worth a, maybe it's worth a million and a half or two million wow. bucks. Most, right. So, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood <laughs> of six, six to 10% property wow. tax. And, and, he, and he's only, he can only work this thing, but he's only got uh Four people where he's got, he already usually has 20 people working. You can only find four himself and three other people working at yeah. the bar. Okay. So he's got to close early. He's also got to close early because of violence in the city, but you, you yeah. can't you have enough people stay open late anyway. Um, so, so again, think about the, the, the difference that makes in, in revenues to the state, right? Yeah, of course. Not, right. Not individually for him. If he's not making money, he's not paying taxes. Right. If he's not paying taxes, the, the, you know, the, the state has less revenues too. So we're, 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 you know, really chopping off our, I mean, how you say it, we're, we're really, uh, you know, hurting ourselves by, by, by doing these stupid things. And I think I also often think it's, per, it feels like it's purposeful because as we continue to create dependency and people, you know, staying home and uh, mm -hmm. you know, getting unemployment, you're, you're also probably creating more votes for the, for the, the, the party that that's, that's feeding, right. That's feeding them, right. Not teach them how to fish, but just feeding them. So, right. Great, great analogy. Yeah, listen, uh, that same story I was telling you, Emerald Glossy, he's 62, 63 years old. If you walk into his restaurant in Florida, he's back there cooking because they can't get enough people. He's got 20 restaurants around the world. He's in this redneck Riviera town cooking every night. Now, it's pretty cool for us because we go by and Emerald's cooking yeah. a meal. 
but I, it's crazy. He can't get enough people to work there. Yeah, it's not good for his future, and, and it's not good for you know the the, the future of uh, of small businesses because you're not there. That's know, right. Large businesses can can scale and afford a lot of things. Small businesses can't. But you, but you, as you know, innovation comes from 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 small business. I mean, large businesses right. they get to be political. Uh, they they grow by absorbing and buying other companies here. That's all great. But the, the but the innovation that that the that big businesses get is often by acquiring small businesses that have the innovators. That's right. And, and we we can't ruin small business and entrepreneurship. And that's that's what I'm worried about. Right. Yeah. Well, you're fighting well, the good fight, and I'm impressed you're, you're, with everything you're doing too, man. Well, you're you're awesome. I I I love the fact that uh, you know you're on both sides of the fence, business and politics, because I am too. Um, I'm I'm focused on politics nowadays, and 100 percent of my time, and I'm learning a lot about it every day. And uh, you know, some things do correlate, and some things don't. Go go but, pick up my book because it's gonna it's really gonna help you. I'm I'm not just on the business side. I'm telling you. As a candidate, you will go, I get it now. I know exactly what it's going to, I mean, it, it's a history book and it's a marketing book. I like it. So it's, uh, it's undefeated. It's undefeated. The, un the undefeated marketing system, how to grow your business and build your audience using the secret formula that elects presidents. Undefeated marketing systems. Yeah. Chris, you'll get it. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. We got to get that for sure. I love it. Um, all right. Well, hey, uh, you ever come to Chicago? You got to look us up. I'd yeah, love man. it, man. I'm following you from afar. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. And then, uh, anything you got, you know, that you can throw at me, let me know. And I'm, I'm a huge networking guy. So I'm blessed to have lots of friends and I want to know more about your, I'm going to learn more and more about what you're doing and how, yeah. how you might, how I can help you as well. Sounds um, good. I, I love passionate people. I love people that, that strive to be great at what they do like you do. Thank you. And, uh, and anytime I can feed you relationships, I want to do that. So, well, I mean, if anything, I'd love to just pick your brain on business every once in a while. You've uh, you've built something that I just totally admire. Uh, you're you're doing you're doing all more than I'm doing, dude. So I think I'll, 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 you'll be getting your brain picked if you're hanging out with me. More I don't than know. So, so I appreciate that. Uh, also, I got, you know, Chris. Chris is my producer. Listens in, you know, and all that. But at the end, I, I expect Chris to kind of tell us the nuggets that his young, young entrepreneurial brain has picked up during this conversation. So if you're, if you, if, if you're okay with that, Philip, I want him to throw some stuff at us. Yeah, so let's do it. Nuggets. Chris, you, you, you all ready there, brother? Yeah. Um, that was, that was great, Philip. I, I'm super excited to, to check out your book. I had already wrote a note uh, to order it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, Cause that sounds, you know, right up, right up my alley, um, you know, for marketing and whatnot. Uh, the, the, my, my first nugget, uh, ADD is a superpower. Uh, I'm definitely a, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a sufferer or a, a beneficiary of ADD. Um, you know, as, as an entrepreneur, I, I, I really identify with that. I, I, don't, I don't think I could uh, have, have achieved as, as much as I have achieved without, yeah. uh, you know, ADD. So I, I do agree with that. It is a superpower. Um, you said you never have a day off when you work in politics that uh, I think that has kind of kept me out of politics. <laughs> I feel familiar, Gary. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we're only picking the best of the best to do because I, you know, Chris is, is on my butt to try and get, you know, one of these a month right now. Yeah. And I, we're doing one a week before and uh, now one a month is really tough. And I love that. That's one of my favorite things to do because I want to inspire people to be entrepreneurs. 
But again, it, it, it's like crazy. I mean, I've, I've spent this type of time, Phil, in my businesses when things are going bad and I gotta, yeah. I've got to rebuild or adjust the direction we're going in. But, uh, you know, this is, uh, I I have to use all the skills I've had, I've I've learned in the past and more and learn a lot more, right, to do it. So it's a a heck of a challenge, but it's actually a lot of fun to to, to grow my brain and and doing something I've never thought of doing, right? Totally. Sorry about that, Chris. Oh, no problem. Um, I, I loved your point about making your brand about two to three things, you know, really capture the the essence of your message um before you you know pretty much do anything else you know you do your research then you decide on your brand and the two or three major uh messaging points um i i love the test your message a hundred different ways um you know it, it sounds like even even the experts uh, you, you said they did like 168 different variations and then nine of them just exploded and they have no idea why <laughs> well, that's the honest answer they did <laughs> it you don't who knew the ad with the green background and the woman on the right corner with the message with the different font size was going to work like they didn't know like they just yeah. knew they had to test it and, it and it doesn't it doesn't matter if they know or not they know what works yeah and that's the most important part that's right um, uh, I, I love your philosophy on the the month to month contract, how it ensures that the client or candidate is put first. Um, that that's such a ballsy way to to run your company. I really not, yeah, admire that. I, I, I had a lot of people tell me not to do that. By the way, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of early Pete private equity people told me, uh, "No, we're not looking at you." I go, "That's fine." <laughs> like I, that's not my model. I, I have a model. Yeah, go, well, it's not our model. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear that from so many of my uh, mentors. They're like, I wish more marketing companies, you know, would focus on results rather than like long. That's right. Totally. totally. And you're, you know, you're, you're walking the, the talk there. Um, where, where focus goes, energy flows. I think that's, that's huge. Um, yeah. And and this you know really qualifies the the month to month contract uh, philosophy. If you can grow their business, they'll be a client for twenty years. That's you know you're you're never going to get someone to agree to a twenty year contract, but if you can grow their business, they'll save you for twenty years. Right. Um, and I love failure as feedback. I, I think um, you know our our culture needs as much reminding of that as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, just the fear of failure is going to keep us in this same state of, you know, chaos. And uh, entrepreneurs are the people of the world who serve. Um, you know, they they serve the most and they serve the best. Um, I did I did want to ask one quick question before we we end, if if you'll indulge me. Um, how how do you find and collect the the best data? Like where, where do you find it and how do you collect it? Yeah, I mean, we have a partnership with the largest data collection analytics and AI company in America. And so they are constantly um, um, acquiring uh, data from credit card companies from, I mean, literally it'd be 10,000 10, different sources. Um, obviously we have a lot of open data rules. Um, you can use data for nefarious reasons like some of the social media platforms or you can use it to run empathetic, 
connective advertising and marketing like we do. Like, I, I just think it's a difference. Like you can use data for bad. There's a lot of people doing that right now. But I mean, the social platforms give you all their data. Uh, Google gives you all their data. Um, obviously, credit card companies give you data. The connected TV companies, Roku, Hulu, they give you all their data. Um, the, the you know, and then you compile it, put it all together, and identify those people that are in those you know, and then build sort of data sets out of that. Awesome. And then, um, how much of you know, let, let's say for a political candidate, how much of a political candidate's budget goes toward um, you know data accumulation, data purchasing data, kind of leveraging data, how much? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what the percentage is. It just kind of depends. I mean, I think with us, you know, we're talking in a big race, like a statewide race, um, not like a congressional race, not like a presidential race, but like a statewide race, you probably want to spend, uh, early on, you want to spend about fifteen to $20,000 to understand the voters. But, you know, part of that is then a continual tracking of that data. And then there's a, you know, there's a source, you know, there's kind of a cost associated with that because you want to stay on the tail. Like sometimes, like in COVID, people believe one thing and then six, or not six months, so try six days later, they believe something else. And the companies that pivoted in March of 2020 are the ones that blew up. And the people that didn't pivot are the ones that got left behind in a lot of sense. That's awesome. Um, so the, the one one thing I I like to uh, so, you know I, I believe simple messaging you know wins and, and you're about that everything you you can hear these little sound bites out of, out of you on a constant basis Phil and uh, you know I, I believe it you know simple messaging wins but you talk about you know the city doesn't want us you said this you said this a couple times right when you guys moved out of DC it was like <laughs> hey you know with you, you you and your wife looked at you and said this city just doesn't want us. Yeah. We went to Florida and, and golly, you know what? This place seems like they want us. You they know, didn't. Like, it wasn't seeming. They did want us. <laughs> it's kind of free down here, right? Even yeah. all the way up to the governor's office with Rick Scott, maybe back then, whoever was your governor back then, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, I mean Rick Scott, I know personally, what a great guy. He wanted, he wants you there. He wanted you there as a governor, all the way down to that that mayor, probably, and that and that person that's, that's right. in, in the uh, uh, roads department, right? I mean, right. It, it's a culture. And, and, and I think it, it is a culture. That's right. It's absolutely I, a culture. I look in Illinois right now, man, this, this city and the state doesn't want us. And, no. and, 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 and I look at this governor, he, and my, my thing, and you can tell me if I'm nuts, but I, I should do some, some work on this data wise. But I believe this is Pritzker's war against families that I'm running against. Mm. It's, it's a war against families. When I look at the 50,000 jobs leaving every year and those yeah. 50,000 families affected. That's crazy. So Fifty thousand families. Some affected kind of positively because maybe it's an opportunity to go somewhere else. But the families left behind and the, and the friends left behind affected very negatively. A fifty thousand a year leaving, right? Jobs, not just people. About a hundred thousand people are leaving. Okay, now then you, then you look at you know taxes were the highest in the country. Now, well, that's not showing that you're, there's a lot of love there. And now you look at this, the the public safety and public schools. Okay, those are the, those are the things I, I focus on the most when I look at this. This war, Pritzker's war against families. He's doing nothing but but to ruin those things, right? I, 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 you know, jobs, taxes, families. I mean, I, I say family culture, right? right. All, all together, a war against families. And and uh, what you said is impactful because you you felt it. And I can tell you, when I go across the state of Illinois, I don't care if I'm far south, west, in the city of Chicago, these families don't feel like that that, that, that the state wants them anymore. No. And, and they're not, and they're and they're right, unfortunately. 
Um, but again, we can look at that, the flip side, we can look at that in business too, right? You that one month deal that you got, that one month contract you got, your customers got to want you, man, because they don't have to have you. And it's really easy to say, sorry, Phil, you know what? You guys uh, don't feel like you, it doesn't feel like you guys want us. You're not giving us the attention we think we need. And, and, and then you're out of a deal, out of, out of, out of the right. job. And so again, I, I think in business or politics, unfortunately in politics, uh, with, with big money invested in false advertisement and false expectations, too often, uh, you know, they get away with winning. Um, in business, you don't win very long if you can't deliver that, that warm, fuzzy feeling and those, those raving customers, especially if you work on a platform like you do where it's, it's, it's 30 days, man. And, yeah. and boy, like I said, I, I wish there was a way that in 30 days we could fire any politician if, uh, the, if, if the public, I know it's not possible, right? But, but, if, but if, the, uh, if they really shit the bed, you could, you could fire them, right? <laughs> why, why are the, the biggest states getting you know, citizens moving into them are Florida, Tennessee, Nevada, and uh, what was the other? Oh, Texas, right? Those are the top, and the top five, they're all in the top, top five, right? I think yeah. there's one other one that's not a, they're all no-tax states. Yeah. How do no. people not look at this data in these in Illinois and California and New York and not see that this is the problem? No, no income tax and usually competitive property tax. Correct. I mean, for Florida, we have a higher property tax, but it's just as high as it was in Washington D.C. It's no different, you know. Dude, 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 dude you want to tell that high property tax down there? Multiply that times three. That's our average. Three yeah. or four. That's the average. It sounds like New Jersey. New Jersey has that too. New Jersey's property taxes are insane. New Jersey's were the highest. I'm telling you right now, we passed them now. Did I mean, you? That's, that's how sick Illinois is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So either way, right, we've we got a lot of challenges, but the bottom line, the underlying thing, and the thing that's just the way to say it simply is the state just doesn't want us, right? Yeah. And, and that's got to change. That's my goal, to change it to be, to be a state where we show we want them, we want them as customers, we want them as families, and we want to show them love, right? And uh, that's, that, that's my goal, and it's not going to be an easy one to achieve, but we're going to do it. Imagine a business where that has an idea and a philosophy and all of a sudden they start losing hundreds of thousands of clients, yeah. <laughs> of customers. And then the owner of that business says, you know what, let's double down on that. Like literally, could you, I mean, it's insane. That, that's exactly what's happening in, in Illinois right now. It's exactly what's happening. I mean, I, I can tell you that last uh, week and a half ago, this governor signed about 50 new bills, you know, 50 new uh, laws in the place. And of those laws, a bunch of those were totally against business saying, mm -hmm. we really don't want you here. Right. Raising the cost of you know, the regulatory environment of business. I, can, I, I won't go into it, but, you know, a few of these things were crazy things that would tell if, if businesses are paying attention, they're saying, wait, wait, why would I stay here? This government just signed more bills to, to say they don't want me here, yeah. that they don't want me taking risk and hiring people because they just put more liability on my back. Uh, when Indiana, Iowa, all these, Wisconsin, these states right around our, our borders are doing things to, to help us as businesses, help us create jobs so that our, their economy can flourish. Illinois continues to, to, to do things to push people out. It's like, again, it's either really, really stupid or it's very purposeful. Yeah. And either way, is really bad. Yeah, I know. So. Super Dude, you're awesome, Bill. It really is a blessing to have you on today. I really appreciate your yeah, time. I'm, I'm really honored. Thank you. Thank you so much. And then let's get together personally sometime. I, I'd love to get to know you better. And uh, when you're coming to Chicago, you got to give me a call when I'm going down south to, to uh, 
uh, would you call that the hillbilly what? Uh, the Redneck Riviera. Redneck Riviera. I've only been through there one time. I, I, I liked it. I kind of felt it's pretty, pretty comfortable. I know, but I felt pretty comfortable because of who I am, right? Yeah, and, you're uh, a paver. I, I have a place down in uh, Marco, uh, Marco Island that, oh, yeah. that my wife and I, you know, we always wanted something down there. We, we bought something there and, and we love it there. But it really isn't still. It's, it's laid back. I don't know if it's quite hillbilly enough for me, though. So I'm, I'm like, <laughs> redneck every year. You'll feel, you'll feel right at home down here. Trust me. So you can wear, I can wear my cutoff shorts, the, the, the you know, jeans, the fringes. They're kind of high. I mean, I, I like to show off my legs. That's okay. Uh, you're not going to have a problem. We're, 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 we're in jort country down here. All right. All right. I'm there, brother. <laughs> All right, my man. Good seeing hey, you. I could, I, I could grow my mullet back, too, then, right? <laughs> we got lots of them. <laughs> And it's not those the hat mullets. It's the real one. So oh, no, no, mine would be real. I had a real yeah. one for a long, long time. I, 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 I had that good time getting that, cutting that off in the, in 2015 when I did. Uh, yeah. Somebody told me it was out of style then. And I, I had a, it was, actually, it was probably like 1990 that I finally yeah. got it. I got it. But hey, all right, brother. Hey, great talking to you. All Thanks, right. for, And uh, what a great episode of Ditch Digger CEO. Until next time, see ya. Thanks, buddy. All right, great seeing you, man. Good luck with everything. Thank you very much. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at ditchdiggerceo. Not the words you say